Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Last week, we discussed foreign exchange and currency risk in general. They're both a critical component in global trade, reported earnings from multinational corporations, and something everyone needs to understand, how a stronger or weaker dollar has consequences, both positive and negative, either as a headwind or tailwind on economic conditions around the world. While, for example, a strong dollar might mean we can buy more of their stuff, any company of ours that tries to compete overseas, well, their product or service will cost more, be less competitive, and as a result, they'll likely sell less of it. Also, a stronger dollar, because oil is denominated in dollars, should be buying more of it. But instead, we've been hitting multi-year highs on the cost of a barrel and all-time highs at the pump. So what's going on? Part of it may be what's going on in Ukraine. But this week, we're discussing some of the advantages the dollar has due to its being the world's reserve currency, which it essentially has been since 1944 when we signed the Bretton Woods Agreement with our allies during World War II. Since then, the dollar has retained its preeminence, partly because of inertia, because people have become accustomed to using the dollar in international transactions, and that has increased its usefulness. But it's also because the Fed has overall done a pretty good job of helping keep inflation low. The U.S. financial markets, especially treasuries, are the deepest and most liquid in the world. There's a large supply of dollar assets globally that are widely considered safe. And finally, because our Fed has served as a backstop in times of crisis, like we did in 2008 during the Great Recession. As I said last week, Ben Bernanke wrote an article in 2016 titled An Exorbitant Role, in which he recalled how other currencies became pegged to the dollar and how the dollar was supposed to have been pegged to gold. But it seems the goal was actually to replace the gold standard, which had collapsed during the Great Depression with something more, as Bernanke called it, flexible. The truth, as France's finance minister declared at the time, was the system afforded the greatest flexibility to us here in the U.S. And ever since, we've enjoyed substantial freedom, both to pursue our own domestic policy objectives and to run sustained balance of payment deficits. This has given the U.S. that exorbitant privilege Bernanke was supposedly trying to debunk, but without a question, it has spared us the cost of constantly converting back and forth with other currencies when, for example, we buy oil. In fact, 
It's because of these advantages that China, Russia, and Brazil in particular have for years made it clear that they ultimately want that to change. Back in 2010, China and Russia dropped the dollar in their own bilateral trade. Following in 2011 by China and Japan, and later that same year, Japan with trade with India. Each of these have cut the dollar out of the picture when it comes to trading between themselves. Also, for many years, China and other Asian countries have been controlling their peg relative to the dollar, meaning keeping it in a tight range to the dollar to manage their inflation and show the world the stability of their currency as a means of exchange. Some have referred to this as currency manipulation because we allow the dollar to float freely. Suffice to say, as China's economy begins to equal and one day perhaps surpasses that of the U.S., the yuan will take on a bigger role, if not by becoming the world's reserve currency itself, then an increasingly larger part of some sort of special depository receipt issued perhaps by the IMF. And in part because of that, I believe, that's why these countries have also been allocating an increasing part of their reserves to gold to provide their currencies and this potentially new exchange mechanism a more stable base and a sense of legitimacy when it happens. In fact, I spoke of this at length back in 2012 in an Equus article titled Why Shouldn't Gold, which I invite listeners to read. But speaking of bilateral trade agreements, just the other day, China announced yet another one with what had been one of our strongest allies in the Middle East, and it turns out, the largest producer of oil in the world, and that is Saudi Arabia. In other words, going forward, any oil China buys from the Saudis will be priced and paid for in yuan, which will have huge implications in everything we're talking about today. But let's take a step back for a second to explain exactly what a reserve currency is. For nearly a century, the U.S. dollar has held that crown, worn before that by Britain's pound sterling. These are currencies of other countries held by a country's central bank in reserve, out of circulation. They're acquired through trade when their country's companies sell goods on which they collect taxes or through direct purchases, all of which they typically hold in the form of sovereign debt invested across a spectrum of maturities. And it's not as if a country fills out some sort of application to become a reserve currency. As we've said, it's something that just happens over time as a country's economy becomes a more meaningful percentage of global GDP. And as that happens, both its usefulness and inclusion grow. And when it gets to the point it merits two countries to trade directly with one another in their own currencies, it not only reduces their transaction costs and their dependence on us, it reduces their borrowing costs because, like a seesaw, when demand for their bonds increases, which, as Lori said a second ago, is what happens when they add this new currency to their reserves, the price goes up and the yield, conversely, goes down. So, what about the Chinese yuan, whose official name is renminbi? China today is the world's second largest economy. So why haven't they already become the world's reserve currency? Perhaps the greatest reason is the one you just mentioned earlier, which is the way China keeps their currency so tightly controlled. 
because it smacks of manipulation. And many companies that do business with China feel they're doing so in part to protect their own exporters, to make them more competitive than they might otherwise be in a free market society. Also, when it comes to their sovereign debt, China limits the amount of bonds foreigners can hold. But when it comes to their companies, no such thing. And the protections they offer foreigners when it comes to the debt of those companies notoriously pales in comparison to what they provide their own people. Good luck, for example, taking them to court in China should one of their companies go bankrupt and you hold their bonds. But as time goes on, more and more yuan will enter circulation. And as we've alluded to in other podcasts, there will be a point when we will most likely lose this status simply because that's the way it is and has been since Rome ruled the world. And therefore, it's our job to ask what's the implications of that so that we'll be prepared in advance. And again, while the dollar is strong now relative to most other countries, it will at some point weaken again. And when it does, that's when the cries for a global currency will grow even louder because as we've said, a weaker dollar will make our exports cheaper versus other countries, and as a result, erode their surpluses the other economies now have. And before that happens, because our borrowing costs will, if for no other reason, go up, it will be important for us to make progress reducing our outstanding debt, lest the interest on our debt overwhelm us. This is something I've been harping on for what seems like ages, because if we don't, it will mean big problems here, and I hope our Fed's decision this month to stop adding to their balance sheet will not only lead them to let their bonds begin to roll off as they mature and thereby reduce their outstanding debt, I hope it's also a lesson our House and Senate will adopt when it comes to budget discussions going forward. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you did, please share it with your family and friends so they can enjoy it too. This is Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable, and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data, or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced, and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth, and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. 